Uh, open our Bibles to uh, to John chapter seven. Uh, sorry, John chapter ten, verse seven is where we're going to start reading this morning. And uh, so, so John chapter ten, verse seven, we're going to read from there. Um, you you may notice a uh, an, an openness on the um, on the stage here. Some of you would say some of you would call it an emptiness. Is my it is on. It's just you're not hearing it. Am I good? <laughs> Impressive voice. No, come on. You're supposed to set me up uh, for that. Oh, there we go. See, if I had just waited before I made my joke, timing is everything, right? Uh, some of you would say there is an emptiness on stage because the board is gone. Um, the board, I, I, I just so appreciate, so many of you have said, like, bring the board back. It will, it will come back. Well, I appreciate you guys. Thank you for the for the love and appreciation um, with regard to to the innovation uh, of the drawing board. And uh, I'm trying to figure out how to make it work on a, on a regular basis. I feel uh, it's it's like to me it feels like that when 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 somebody has a bunch of stuff hanging on their on their rearview mirror in their car, you know, like it's it's like a visual obstruction to me. And I'm thinking, how do we how do we make it? part of our environment and make it work um, without it being like in front of everybody. So in any case, um, we're going to read and then we're going to pray and we will hear from God's word. Let's, uh, let's read John chapter 10, verse 7. The scripture says, so Jesus again said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and to kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge... I have received from my Father. Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning. We thank you for these words preserved by the Apostle John and passed down throughout church history, preserved by your Holy Spirit, written under his inspiration, given to the church. And we thank you for them because we know that these are the very words you intend for us to know and to focus on and to be transformed and changed by. And so we thank you for these words from Scripture. 
Lord, we pray that you would help us to receive and to hear what is said and that 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 knowledge once brought into our minds would move the distance between our intellectual thought and our embrace of it. That, that we would not just know, but that we would believe. Father, we might know that eating in a certain way is healthy for us, and yet we do not do it because in our heart we do not truly delight in it. And so we pray in this area, in terms of your character, the character of your son, we pray that we would hear your words and that our hearts and minds would be challenged, changed, and encouraged. Father, I pray if there's anyone here this morning who does not have the peace that comes from knowing you and being reconciled to you, I pray that they would hear with ears of faith this morning and that they would take steps to believe and receive what you have for them in Christ. I pray if there's anyone here whose heart for you has grown cold, that knowing your love and your compassion would stir them up again and encourage them. And Father, I pray for those who are enjoying and receiving and delighting in who you are to them, I pray that they would be encouraged and built up as well and that their, their fire and love for you would increase all the more. We pray these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. So I had the opportunity to speak on, uh, on campus over at SU this week to the, uh, the Campus Crusade for Christ ministry, and uh, they, they had this sermon series that they were going to do, uh, a speaking series, rather, where... Um, they, they were asking students to, to write their questions on post-it notes and then to, to, to put them on a big poster board and, and they would pick the questions that they were going to address in this series. And uh, so they messaged me and they said, can you come speak? Yeah. Uh, we're going to give you an easy one. Yeah. And, uh, and they said, hey, can you speak about why bad things happen? You're going to go first. I'm like, yeah, that's completely and utterly easy. So... Uh, I went in there and, and began to, uh, to talk about the nature of evil. Why is there evil? Why do bad things happen at all? And uh, let, me, let, me just, let me share one, one bit of, of, of what I said as we transition into this territory. Some people act as if the question or the solution, uh, to the, 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 the objection, rather, of the problem of evil somehow should strike dread in the heart of Christians. Maybe you're here this morning and you've, you've been attempting to talk to somebody about your faith or you know somebody who's left the, the Christian faith or who has, who has grown cold in their love for, for God and his word because of, of bad things that have happened and you feel on some level like, I'm not really sure how to answer this. There's some social anxiety about it, right? Like, like ooh, they asked a good question and you, there's an intellectual difficulty here. This, this is what I told the, the crowd. This is ground that Christians own. The nature of the problem of evil. Those who believe that the universe is a random occurrence 
the, the, uh, that, that human beings are the result of time plus chance and that the universe is heading nowhere, have no ability or right to speak of things as good and evil at all. Everything just is what it is. If when the universe ends in 40 million years, when all the energy runs out and the universe just grows cold and everybody dies freezing, right? Everybody who's still alive after all the stars explode, there's not going to be like, this is bad. It's just what happens, right? But if we are the creatures of God, created by God in a world that was originally created good, that has gone astray because of human beings leaving God behind, then suddenly we have something to talk about. We own this ground, is what I told them. This is like, it's like, it's hard for Batman to fight in the light, but when the lights go out, that's his territory, right? When Superman is, is fighting in the Batman vs. Superman movie and they drop a nuclear bomb on him, right? And he, he shrivels away to a skeleton and he's out in space, right? And, and he's going around the earth, you know, just like a, a shriveled corpse. And then, and then the sun rises, the yellow sun of earth, right? Which gives Kal-El tremendous power. He just like, he turns back into Superman. He's like, I'm going back into the fight. Evil? is territory that we own as Christians, okay? There is a response to evil. The entire Bible is designed to answer the question that, or, or to, to respond to the issue that the world is not what it should be, that God is good and that he cares deeply and intensely about things and that we need to trust in the fact that he is working it out. God may not have yet rid the world of evil. By the way, we'll talk about this in just a second. Footnote, right? Little, little, tiny little italicized letter A there. We'll come back to that. Um, uh, the, the, the issue is we, we think that because God is good and all-powerful, then he should have removed evil, right? There should be no evil. There should be no struggle, no pain. But, we live in a world where God promises that he will one day do that and that he's doing it right now. You know what would happen if God says, I'm going to remove everything that defies my will, that is, that is not consistent and perfect and good. You know what would happen? We would all vanish. Yeah. Poof, like that. Because none of us lives up to the standard that God has set for us. Not one of us. And so the question for Christians then becomes, this listen this is this is the the big concept that i tried to communicate to them is often that that evil is raised people say like why do bad things happen to people and they'll they'll talk about what happened in in syria which is horrible this this chemical gas attack right you know um, civilians killed through collateral damage by military action. These things are bad, but so often when someone's struggling with the question of evil what they're really asking is why did that person who said that they loved me leave me? Why do I have cancer? Why, why is this person who I know who's so good, why are, they, why are they struggling? And so it's not just a big intellectual problem. There's, there's a problem on a, on a personal level. The good news is not just that God is good and he's working out the whole story. Just 
keep watching and waiting and, and, and it'll all resolve in the end, no matter what happens to you now, but that God cares now. He is, like he says, the good shepherd. John 10 is Jesus' last public discourse. He is, he is making an ending of his speaking in the Gospel of John. The Gospel of John breaks into two big parts, and there's this transition section in the middle of the book. He has a public ministry as the, the Messiah where he speaks and teaches and acts. He performs miracles in John. The miracles are very selective. Other Gospels, it's like miracle, miracle, miracle. In, in the Gospel of John, there's only seven. And they are the signs that Jesus performs. And so he, he performs these signs, and he lectures and speaks to the people and teaches them. But then he withdraws and goes up into the upper room with his disciples, where he teaches them extensively before he is taken prisoner, tried, convicted unjustly, and he goes to the cross uh, with a triumphant resurrection three days later. So in John 10, Jesus is in his last public discourse. He's he's capping off his teaching and these these verses that we're looking at john 1 uh, 10 uh, these 21 verses are jesus disclosure of his identity he's telling the public as clear as possible who he is and they're refusing to hear it so so in uh in the second section of john 10 22 to 42 they'll the people will demand that jesus be plain about his identity and he tells them who he is and then they they reject him but look at his core identity as he reveals it in john 10 this is the last thing he's going to say in public before he goes into the upper room with his disciples and teaches them uh, before he goes to the cross he claims this identity for himself. He says in verse 11, if you've got it in front of you, uh, whether it's on your phone, that counts, or whether you're looking in a paper Bible, that counts too. You can't smell your phone, you know. Um, you can, you could, a Bible's got a smell to it. And you can flip its pages. It's cool. I'm not down on you if you're, if you're using the electronic Bible. I just, you know, I was all there a couple years ago, and now I'm like, give me paper. I love it. Anyway. Um, in, in verse 11, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. And then in verse 14, he says, I am the good shepherd again. Psalm 100, verse 3, Jesus uh, is, is hinted at here. And when, when the psalmist wrote it, I think he wrote it better than he knew. Know, Psalm 100, verse 3, know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Uh, we are in need. We are, we are creatures that need tending and care. We are not in control of our environment. We can, we can eat and we can drink, but we need to be led and we need to be encouraged and we need to be shown, we need to be taught, we need to be guided. The scriptures teach that the Lord is God. And we are his sheep. Matthew says this about Jesus in Matthew 9, verse 36. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Speaking of the, the coming Messiah, in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 11, the scriptures say that, that the, the son of David, the Messiah, will tend his flock like a shepherd. He'll gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. A great leader 
those those that we respect, right? Have you ever have you ever watched someone, maybe a a football player or a uh, or some kind of, of of pop star or even a political figure? You watch them start from humble origins, and a bunch of people help them, and at some point they get the message that they're the greatest thing in the world, right? That that they're they're the greatest athlete who ever lived, or that they're the they're the greatest singer, and suddenly they forget, right? where they came from, who, who helped them, who, who encouraged them, who they were connected to, and they become too big for, for everyone. Great leaders retain their humility. They don't forget their origins. They remember the people. Isaiah 40 says of Messiah that he will tend his flock like a shepherd, Think about this. Jesus is here teaching the people who he is. And they are refusing to listen to him. And he keeps telling them over and over again that he is a guide and a leader for them. The Bible teaches that, that, that Jesus, far from receiving uh, cosmic power and the resurrection when he when he comes back from the dead and then going to heaven and sitting on that throne angry and hurling and casting out judgment and and constantly wanting people to feel on edge and nervous instead the scriptures teach that he has broad shoulders and great strength and a willingness to carry our burdens and to help us Listen, if, if you're here this morning and you're a guy and I'm like, I don't need broad shoulders and someone to help carry my problems, okay, that's cool, right? But don't say that there aren't places where you don't worry intensely about certain things, that there's an anxiety about what could happen in the future, that you, you might be on the verge of a giant business venture or you're thinking, should I get married? Or you're thinking, should I have a kid? Or should I buy a house? Should I, should I, should I? And there's some anxiety the God of the universe says, I will help you and be there for you. Amen. We can tap into wisdom beyond our years, the wisdom that, that created the universe. We can express those things which cause us intense anxiety to us. And he will encourage and help. Because this is the amazing thing. Power, ultimate power, given to human beings, corrupts and, and encourages them to forget where they've come from. Power, ultimate power, where it comes from in the universe from God, has a humility and a service to it. This is an amazing thing that the God who created the universe is humble and loves his people. It's astounding. The, the sad thing, I believe, is that Americans, we, 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 we don't find this amazing. We think like, yeah, I come to church and this is what I hear, this is what I see from Jesus, but think about it. Look at, look at what happens to, to, to people. They forget where they come from. We put them in political office and then they break their promises to us. This is what humans do. God doesn't do that. 
God promises and then never changes. Listen to what Jesus says when he speaks about uh, carrying burdens. Actually, this isn't Jesus. This is Peter speaking of uh, God and, and his son. He says this, 1 Peter 5, 6. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Did you hear that? He cares for you. He cares. This is what Jesus says about being the good shepherd. He says in verses 14 and 15, I know my own and my own know me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, and I lay my life down for the sheep. Jesus tells a a, a story in the Gospel of Luke about his attitude towards those whom he loves who are lost he says that he he leaves that the 99 that he's got when he has 100 sheep and one of them is missing and he he leaves them this is not like he's leaving them out in the field ready for the wolves he leaves them in a in a pen in a sheep pen and he goes and he seeks for the one who's lost because he cares and so you might be here this morning thinking like you know what me? Does God, does God care for me? Yes. Yes, he does. Matthew 10.30 says that God knows the hairs on our heads. He knows the, the number of hairs on our heads. Insert preacher joke, right? With some people, it's easier than others to know the number of hairs on their heads. Uh, and with some of us, it's getting easier to know. Romans 8.28 says this, that, that God, though he is in control of, of suffering, Psalm 115 says that, that God is in heaven and does whatever he pleases. And the scriptures teach that God has absolute control over everything, that he is not capricious or wasteful with our suffering. He doesn't just allow bad things to happen to teach us a lesson and say, you learn from that. No, instead, as a gentle, kind shepherd, it says in Romans 8.28 that he arranges the circumstances of those who are called to him for their good. That he doesn't let any suffering go to waste. He cares deeply about our circumstances. The disciples were were with Jesus. They were traveling from one side of the the Sea of Galilee to the other. This is in Mark chapter 4. They get in the boat. Jesus is tired. He's been working all day. And so he goes to sleep. And a great storm arises. And Jesus is asleep. And there's water everywhere. And he's still sleeping. I think he's kind of like in a little sheltered place on the boat. You know how boats have got a a, a little spot that you can go and camp out. And in the midst of their terror, they shake him and wake him up and say, don't you care that we're perishing? And he stands up and rebukes the winds and the waves and the sea calms. And they're filled with great fear and say to one another, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Who is it indeed? Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in one. He guides me, the Bible says, beside quiet waters. Jesus demonstrates here, without spilling it out, that he is the good shepherd, that he is 
the Lord. He cares for you. I had an opportunity to, uh, to meet with a, a professor, you know, a guy who knows everything about the Bible in, in seminary. I was taking his class by video. This was new back then. It was a VHS tape. Like, I didn't even have a DVD. It's like I had to feed the tape in, you know, and, and it was like they had a little sticker, please be kind, rewind, and I had to rewind them and, and watch them. And so this professor didn't know me, and so I, I sent an email and scheduled a lunch with him and, and spent about two hours with this guy talking. And, and I was like, you know, you're my hero. You taught me. And he's like, I don't know you, you know. But so I had my giant list of questions. And uh, one of the things that he had said um, in, in, this, uh, in this video series as he was teaching this, this whole look at the whole Bible and what God is doing and who he is, he, um, he, he said, you name any story in the Bible and I can tell you how it fits in the grand story and scheme of scripture. And I was like, yeah, right. And so as I'm taking this class, I'm writing like every random story that I can come up with, right? Every, every single story that I can come up with that, that I don't, I'm kind of like, what is that? So we're sitting there and I said, hey, I want to ask you about this, this, this thing that you said, that you can, you can describe and explain any story. And so he's like, yeah, okay. So this is the story I brought up. Second Kings chapter six, verse one. Uh, Elijah's prophets, are, uh, his prophet students are looking at the place where they're living. They're all with Elijah and they're tr in training to be, to be prophets. And uh, so they say, the, the house that we're living in is too small. We're going to go down to the Jordan by the river. We're going to each chop down a log, right, because trees grow near an available water source. And we're going to bring it back and we're going to make a place to dwell. And so Elijah's like, good idea, go. So uh, they say to Elijah, come with us. So he answers, I will go. Um, so he went with them. They come to the Jordan. They cut down the trees. But as one of them is cutting down a log, right, they're, they're using the axe. And the little piece of metal that holds the axe head in comes out. That's a thing. You can buy it in the store. And uh, so it comes out. And the axe head falls off and it goes into the water. And you know what happens when metal goes in water, it sinks, right? This is the equivalent of like dropping your keys into the sewer and your, your keys like getting, getting taken away in a rush of water. Like, what in the world just happened? And so the servant, the, the, the son of the prophet, the prophet in training says, Alas, my master, I'm sure he said it in a much more dramatic way back then. I don't ever say alas. Um, but he cries out, that was borrowed. Like, I got to go back with that. It's not like I can say, you know, I broke my axe. I got to go back to the guy and I got to give him the stick and say, here's your axe back. And try to like, it's like, where's the axe head? He's like, oh. So Elisha says, where did it fall? He says it fell right there. Elijah breaks a stick off of the tree that, they, that came down. He throws it on top of the water, and the axe head floats up to the top. And the, the, the son of the prophet picks it up, puts it back on the axe head. I said to Dr. Lehman, what's that about? Why is that in there? That story's weird. <laughs> he sat back and he said, God cares about little things. God cares about little things. Listen, the stuff that you encounter on a daily basis, you may run into stress and struggle and think, oh, you know, this is just, it's so small in the grand scheme of things, right? Like, 
in a hundred years, no one will remember that on this particular busy day, you couldn't find any place to park. But you know what? If you care, God cares. He cares. Now, you might have your priorities wrong and need to be adjusted, right? This may be like a first world problems kind of thing. You know, I do think that it's, it's I think it's kind of silly to go on Facebook and to say, like, bless the Lord, I found a parking spot close to the mall. You know, like, that is not miraculous. <laughs> it's, it's not. It's God's good kindness towards you, but like, hey, don't overdo it. Um, but when we struggle with things and we think, does God really care about this, the fact that I can't pay my mortgage, or the fact that I might be sick, or the fact that someone that I love is struggling, or that, that rough, intense, difficult things happened to me in the past, and I'm still dealing with the emotions and the stress and the struggle, does God care? The answer is yes. He cares about everything. He cares about us. If it distresses us and draws us away from him and, and shakes and shatters our faith, he cares. He cares enough to fix the big problems that we deal with. We see in the often quoted verse, John 3.16, the Bible says, God so loved the world. This is not, uh, if you've, if you've uh, worked with your, your kids, right, you know, uh, in, in developing certain strategies in the home. Our choking strategy was, with our babies, was to say, like, say so big, right, when they, when they choke. We, like, get their hands up, you know, open their airways and stuff. And so, you know, Nancy would always say, so big, like that. You know, how much does mom love you? So much, like that, right? It was cute. You look at all my kids now. They're like man children. But they were, they were super cute once, and they were, like, so big, all of them. Do it, guys. Come on. Come on. No, anyway. All right. Um, these are not all my children, by the way, though, although I like them. Um, so, by the way, these are front row Baptists. I love that. Most of you guys are you're back, you're back there. This morning I sat down and I thought no one's in the front row. And then the, the horde came in and they all took their seats. I loved it. Anyway, um, the scriptures say this. That God so loved the world. It's not that he loved the world so much. That's, that's not what's being said here. It's that he loved the world in this way. This is the demonstration of his love and shepherding of us. That he gave his only son. That whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. This is the, the big problem that, that all of us are grappling with and struggling with. We are born separated from God. I'm preaching like the next page of my notes. And so uh, you, may, you may hear me in like five minutes say like, oh, I covered that already. I covered that. I did that. Um, I'm just going to adjust my, my papers here for a second. Um, the big problem that we're all struggling with is the fact that we are alienated from God in this world. We are separated from him because of our rebellion as a race from God. We all struggle with this. We live in a world that's fallen. Our genes are out of control and the weather is out of control. This is what happens when when a when the people who God created to walk in fellowship with him said, "You you take your rules and your prohibitions in your way and go away. We will do it our own self." 
That's what happens. We, we see it in the world around us. And so what we need is for God to act and to make peace with him on our behalf. We need him to take the initiative and to rebuild the relationship. Look at how Jesus describes his work in, in John chapter 10. In verse 15, he says this, I lay down my life for the sheep. God is drawing people into his family and they need to be protected and defended from the thing that separates them from God and that's their own sin. Jesus says he lays down his life for the sheep. He's putting it down. Like you might put down money when you go to the grocery store. If you've been to the grocery store and you've got four boys who eat like locusts, they're like, that'll be $400. And you're like, bye money, right? <laughs> See ya. You know, it was nice to know you, just even if it was just for a short little while. We, we lay it down. We, we kiss it goodbye in exchange for something else. Jesus is spoken of here. He's speaking of himself. He says that he releases his life. He puts it down as the shepherd on behalf of his sheep. But he does it in their place. He takes, he takes their place. He stands in their way. You um, perhaps have seen uh, the movie... Last of the Mohicans. Before it was a movie, it was a book, and it was like one of the most famous books ever written by James Fenimore Cooper. Uh, and if you've not read it, don't feel bad. I haven't either. <laughs> but I've seen the movie, and in the movie, uh, a man named Colonel Monroe is trying to transport this general's daughters to him, and he is in love with one of the daughters, Cora. And she gets mixed up in this, this difficult situation where a, a tribal chief now has her and, and wants, to, um, and, and wants to, to take her as his bride. Uh, but but the, the other tribal chief says, no, we're going we're gonna to heal all the division and conflict between the peoples by, by killing her, right? She is going to die. This is one of these dramatic points of the story. And Monroe, because he loves her, says, take me instead. And he steps into her place. He takes her place. That she would not lose her life. The scriptures say that all we, all humanity, like sheep, have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. But the Lord has laid on him, on the good shepherd, on the Messiah who comes to take our place, the sin of us all. It's not a matter of, of mere forgiveness. God is not like a human who can say, that's okay. You're forgiven. The nature of God is such that all evil must be punished. That's a good thing for human beings who say, that's wrong. Nobody should be allowed to do that. When we watch the news and we see that, that someone has, has gassed their own people with chemical weapons, right? And we say, that's horrible. We're saying internally, somebody should do something about that. And as God looks out at humanity and he sees us going our own way, he is saying, that needs to be stopped. But the kindness of God is that he says, I will not punish them. I will send a substitute to take their place 
Jesus, the Son of God, says, I am willing to do that. And so he comes and he takes their place. He takes the place of, of sinful human beings on the cross. So he goes to the cross, taking our place, paying for our sins, our guilt with his righteous life so that we can be part of his flock, part of his family. God the Father and God the Son, when they make this arrangement in eternity past, it pleases God the Father and fills him with pride. Jesus says in John 17, For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I might take it up again. This is not something he's being forced to do for us. It's a free giving of his life for ours. He says in verse 18, No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I've received from my Father. What an amazing act of love on our behalf. To take the hit to pay the price that we might not have to. Why? Because he cares for us. This is what the good shepherd does. He protects his people. He protects those that he loves. What remains for us then as we consider this? If you are hearing this and you think, I don't know if I'm in right relationship with God or my, have my sins been paid for? You know, is that, is that, has that happened? This is what the scriptures say. Romans chapter 10, verse 11. The scriptures say, this is actually in the verse. It says, for the scriptures say, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. Have you ever had that experience, Right? On the playground, here you go. Here's my, here's my junk coming out. Right? We're picking teams. I want you and you and you and not you. Right? And you're like, sad me, sad music all alone. You know, maybe you're thinking, me? Like, does, does God really, truly want me? Everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. Right? That's what happens with the, the not you the burning shame of, of being left out. I'm okay. I'm really not bitter about it. But it will not happen to those who put their faith and trust in Christ. Verse 12, there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. God doesn't prefer one group of people to the other. The same Lord is Lord of all, Paul says, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. Verse 13 of Romans 10 Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Jesus goes on in this passage to point out the, the ethnic diversity of his people. He says this in verse 16 because he's speaking to a, a bunch of Jewish people, and, and that's who he's telling this teaching to. He says, I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also. They will listen to my voice. He's talking about the ethnic diversity of his people. The fold that he's talking about here is, is Israel, the Jews. Amos chapter 3, verse 2, God says, You only 
have I known of all the families of the earth. But, but in Acts chapter 17, Paul is preaching the gospel to a bunch of people who are not Jews, and he says that God made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place. God filled the earth with people, and he put them into nations. Why did he do that? So that they might seek God in the hope that they might feel their way toward him and find him. God wants to be found by the peoples of the earth. Acts chapter 17, verse 30. This is just four verses from where we were just reading. The times of ignorance God has overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he's fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he's appointed. He's speaking there about the good shepherd who will come back one day to separate his flock out from among all the people of the earth and to say, these are the people who believed and put their faith and trust in me, and those are not. Think about this. What, what Jesus is saying here is that he views the world through a different lens than we do. Our news stations and websites and Facebook feeds are full of all kinds of, of ethnic tension. Do you feel that? The tribes and clans and families of the peoples at war with one another, right? That's, that's the world we live in right now. There's an enormous tension. Think about how what Jesus is saying here changes that and how the people of God, the people of Jesus ought to look out at the world, right? There is no one who Jesus does not care about out in the world, is what he's saying here. He has other sheep that are not of this fold. He's saying, I don't just prefer one kind or color or language of people. i got to go and gather, gather people from everywhere. And they will be one flock and one shepherd. That means that in Christ, no matter where we come from, ethnically, racially, right? Socially, no matter what our, 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 um, our gender is, we are one in Christ. And that means that I ought to look at everyone who's in Christ as equal to myself. Amen. Isn't that an amazing solution? Well, what about people who aren't in the church then? Well, I look at everybody as, as somebody who could potentially be part of Jesus' family, and so I ought to show them respect. Okay, so that's a solution as well. Well, what about people who will never be part of that family? Well, aren't they created in the image of God? And didn't God determine where they would live according to Acts chapter 17, that they might feel their way toward him? So then all human beings are worthy of my respect. Within the church, racism dealt with. Amazing, right? No place for it. Jesus cares about the little things, sometimes the people that some people don't even think about, but the others feel deeply about. And so he comes, this good shepherding. I got one more point to make, but I'm, I'm, I'm packing up. Every problem, every difficulty that we struggle with, if we will come to him and say, lead me, guide me, show me the way, Jesus will say, here is the way. It doesn't mean it's easy. It doesn't mean it's not a significant problem or it's going to be difficult to deal with. We live in a fallen world and we struggle, but God cares and he has a, a way for us to handle it if we follow 
his voice. Jesus closes out this section by saying, so there will be one flock. Romans 12, 5 says this, so in Christ we who are many form one body and each member belongs to the others. What does this flock become? Is it just a group of people who gather together underneath the, the heading of, of Jesus and we're, we're here because he brought us here and so we're all kind of gathered in this place in the sheep pen and I'm like, I'm going to kick the other sheep out of my way and get to the feeding trough first. Is that, is that how the, the family of, of God is supposed to function? Somebody out there knew it was a joke because I heard them laugh. No, we're to have the same care for one another. We're to look to our shepherd and to say, that's the way that I want to live. I want to be known for compassion and truth and guidance, but I want to be deeply moved and affected and love the people that I share with. Love the people that I interact with. I want them to see the character of the shepherd in me that they might know and, and follow. And so we see Jesus leading his people and we ought to follow his lead and be a caring community of support that loves one another in grace and in truth. Speaking the truth, yes, but speaking the truth, as the scripture says, in love, with great care and compassion. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. And so I ask this as we close. Do you know him? If you don't, my encouragement to you is to acknowledge him and receive him as Savior and Lord. He loves you. He laid down his life to save you. He says, turn from your sins, admit your need, and follow him. All who call upon him, none will be disappointed. If you claim that you are a follower of the shepherd, I say this. When you hear his voice, do you follow him? Is your character changing? Not instantly, but slowly over time, are you becoming more and more like him so that your character mirrors his? He says, my sheep hear my voice and they follow me. Are you following him in the way that he calls and commands you to? If not, my encouragement to you is to repent, uh, to express your need to someone, to pray, to, 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 to cast out doubt and to remove it with praise, but to follow him and to, to walk in his way. He cares for you, so cast your burdens on him. Let's close in prayer. Father, thank you for the, the time that we've been able to spend in your word. We pray that by your grace and for your glory and our joy, that you would impress this truth upon our hearts, that you care deeply for us, that you love us with a love that we cannot possibly imagine. It is greater than, than a love that, that a father or a mother has for their children. You care. And so we pray, Father, that, that, that we, would, we would cooperate with that care, that we would follow, and that we would rejoice in it. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the time that we've been able to spend in your word. We pray your blessing on, on this, uh, this time of giving and on our last uh, worship song. We pray you'd be pleased with what we do, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.